This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. If you're an expert in your field, chances are you are a pro at presentations. You likely have a library of presentations you've developed over the years. You might also have written on the topic for external publications or for your own blog. With this deep well of content, you might be ready to take the next step in deepening your credibility and write a book. Liz Repking is definitely an expert. She is the founder of Cyber Safety Consulting, which educates teachers, parents, and children on the dangers in our digital and connected world. She presents on internet safety around the United States to elementary, middle school, and high schoolers, businesses, and religious groups. With knowledge and insight formed over years of speaking to parents and youth, Liz set out to write a book. Today, we are happy to chat with Liz about her book writing journey, how she got started, where she got stuck, and what surprised her about the adventure so far. Liz, welcome to the show. Thanks for chatting with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. So before we start talking specifically about your book writing journey, tell us a little bit about cyber safety consulting and how you got started with that. So I started cyber safety consulting eight years ago. Uh, I heard someone speak. I heard a police officer speak at one of my children's schools, and I am the mother of three children, um, a son who is 21, another son who's 19, and a daughter who's 15. And years ago, I heard this police officer talk um, about the dangers of technology and the need for parents to be involved in their children's online life, and it very much spoke to me. And I worked with that gentleman for a couple of years, shadowing him and learning more about the industry and decided I wanted to go out on my own and um, with a, a mission or a passion to educate. I originally started with the idea of educating parents on how to be more involved in their online life as I thought it was a big part of being a quality parent. And then I quickly learned that students had a tremendous need for this knowledge as well. So I spend much of my time educating both students and parents, administrators, teachers, um, anyone who is involved with students about how to be safe, appropriate, kind, um, a good digital citizen with their online activities. So Liz, tell us what one common mistake is that parents make in trying to monitor their children's online habits. Dave and I want to know if we've made these in the past. So I wouldn't say the problem is really about monitoring. It's about understanding that this is a problem that affects all children. So a lot of parents, while they might understand the dangers, they tend to write a lot of it off that it wouldn't happen to their child, that their child wouldn't make those decisions or those mistakes. And I want parents to understand that it's not necessarily a good child, bad child scenario. It's, it's a danger that all kids face, and they often struggle to recognize dangers as they encounter them online. So we have to be starting conversations with our kids about what challenges, what problems, what threats look like to them online and how to address them. So what is one thing that you want parents to take away from a presentation when you give it? What is the one thing? Is it that 
element of my kid is it's not an issue of good kid, bad kid, or what, what else is it? No, the, the number one objective I have is, well, I probably can't sum it up in one thing. So I'm going to give you a couple. One is educating parents. They can't really do anything unless they understand what the problems are and what they look like. So we first have to educate them. And then my second greatest objective is to really encourage them, push them and give them the tools and the strategies to start an ongoing conversation with their child, with their children at home so that this becomes a topic that kids are comfortable talking about and they don't they don't feel threatened or unsafe um, so that there can be an avenue for education and protection of the kids from the home. Liz, this is Dave. Thank you for being part of our show today. So at what point in the journey did you say, hey, I think I need to write a book? And, and what was the very first step that you took? Well, it's interesting how you phrase that question. You, you phrase it as if I had the idea that I needed to write a book. And that's not really <laughs> how it came to be. Um, I, you know, obviously I have a couple different people I look to, to help guide me and advise me as I developed this business. And, um, several people suggested early on that, that you'll have to write a book. If you want to be a thought leader in this area, you need to produce a book. And in the beginning, I, I, I didn't see myself as ready to write a book. So I kind of kept saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as I grew my business, it became clear that in order to take my speaking to the next level, I did need something that gave me more credibility. I, I saw myself losing opportunities to people who were published authors. That's when I started listening to those people that were advising me and realizing that if I wanted to progress in my career in this area as a subject matter expert, SME, I needed more credentials. And a book really is probably the greatest credential that a speaker can have. So I'm curious, do you feel now like you should write a book? You said that at first you didn't think that you should, that other people were telling you you should. Do you think now that you should, or is that something you still wrestle with? I, I wrestle with it every day. I wrestle with it for a lot of reasons. One is I've never seen myself as a writer nor had a strong desire to be a writer. I do see the loss of opportunity I experience because I haven't produced that, so to speak, calling card. When I allow myself to think through what I've done in the last eight years, I realize that I have gained a tremendous amount of experience and stories in this area that people find incredibly interesting, um, which is one key to having a successful book is that it, it needs to be interesting, right? It needs to hold people's attention. So I, I think I have the content for that. And I've grown into the idea that I am a thought leader. So I do wrestle with the idea that I don't have time to do it, which is what I think a lot of people in my position experience. I struggle with the time to write the book because, you know, obviously it takes a lot of time to write a book. And I am busy doing things that, that create revenue for my business and create growth for my business. So I am selling jobs, I'm delivering content, I'm, I'm doing all the administration behind that. So to write a book means you sort of step back on some of that direct revenue generating work you do. But I think you have to realize that it's a long-term gain revenue. If you're, if you're trying to convert it into, into how it affects your bottom line, think you have to see a bigger picture that in a year or two years, I'll reap the benefits revenue-wise. I may give 
give up some day-to-day revenue right now to get this accomplished, but what's the long-term, what's the big picture objectives? So tell us, Liz, how you started to find time to write. It's so difficult to find that time. So how did you do it? So that's actually been one of the biggest challenges is finding that time. So I've tried a couple different things. Um, For a while, I tried just blocking time on a weekly basis on my calendar. That got a little bit difficult when I get into the the season of travel and working with schools because I I don't really have the flexibility to block that time. so well, that works a little bit. Then I tried to dedicate all of my plane, writing on planes, all of that time to writing. And that was a little bit harder, too, because I just physically didn't have the space on a plane to have my laptop and any papers that I wanted to look through. Um, so that was a challenge. And then the other thing that I find helps is if I move away from my normal workspace at home, my home office, because I get really distracted. So for me, writing is probably not one of my favorite activities. So I tend to find other things that seem important that need to be done for my business. And all of a sudden that three hour time block that I had becomes 45 minutes. And at that point I think, well, I can't really get into this. What's the point? Um, I tried that. I also went out to a five day writing retreat where I focused solely on that and didn't do put aside my email, put aside all the activities of my day-to-day operations and worked was around people who were writing and, and worked on it that way. That had a little bit more success was, was really, I think sometimes when we pay some money to do something, put a little skin in the game, we tend to do, do it a little bit more. So describe the retreat a little bit. Um, how many writers, what did you aspire to get out of the retreat and did you get what you really wanted? And would you advise that for a, a professional like yourself? For me, it was it was helpful. I it was on the early end of of my efforts to produce this. I knew very, very, very little about the writing process, and I also didn't know about what happens after you write a book. If you put all these words on a page, whether they're good or not good, what do you do with that? So, um, how do you publish it? How do you work with an agent? How do you get a book deal? I didn't know any of that. So those were that was one of my primary objectives was to connect with someone who was more focused on that back end, back end of it. That was really helpful because I learned a lot. The other piece I personally was looking for was validation of my idea. So there were the woman who runs the retreats and then she had four other besides myself. She had a total of five people at the retreat. None of them were similar to me at all in, in what they were trying to do or their objectives. So someone was writing a fiction book. Someone was a yoga instructor and writing a book about that. Someone was writing a memoir. That wasn't a positive or a negative. I think the most beneficial piece of that experience was that I got validation that that my book was needed and that I, I went into it thinking I wasn't a good writer, that I just, I wasn't a writer. And I came out of that with some validation that I, I could be a writer and I could do this. What does that mean to you? I could be a writer. I could do this. What, what, what does that mean exactly to you? When I walked into the retreat, as I introduced myself, I spent a lot of time almost invalidating myself and making excuses before we did anything. And I, I was with people who viewed themselves as writers, who loved to write, who thought this was going to be the best week of their life. And as I introduced myself, I said things like, I'm not a writer, but I need to do, th- I need to 
produce this book. I don't care if anyone reads it, but I have to do this to further my business. And I noticed that a lot of that was my own insecurity around um, my doubt as to whether I could accomplish this. Two times a day that we sat together as a group and you had to read something that you wrote for your book, and then the group would talk about it and provide you with constructive criticism. And I can remember when I heard that, the first night I was there, I was petrified. I felt like to read something I wrote to this group to then be critiqued was like standing up naked in front of them. So I volunteered to go first the next morning and they all looked at me and they said, you just want to get this over with, don't you? I said, this is, this is like being in speech class for me. And I read something and at the end they just, they all looked at me and they said, what in the world were you even talking about last night? This is so relevant. This is great information and you write it really well. And, and so that was really I think I slowly came out of that thinking, I need to let up on myself. I've spent so much time protecting my insecurity that this isn't my skill set and and giving myself a little bit more credit than I allow myself to do. Um, And and I think part of the problem for me, and, and maybe this will help some of your clients or listeners, is that I think people who own a business or become a thought leader or want to be a thought leader we tend to be somewhat of a perfectionist. And what comes with a a person who's a perfectionist is deep fear of failure. We tend to do things that we know inherently that we can be successful at. And writing a book is not something that I have that confidence. And so I tend as a person to shy away from things that I don't know down deep in my heart, I can, I can be a success at it. It really, honestly, and I'm being incredibly honest right now is that it's one of the few things in my life that I've really felt like, I I don't know if I can do this Hmm. regardless of how hard I work. It's not a work, you know, a work issue. So then I tend to, to put it off. I tend to make sure that there's other things that are more pressing on my time. So that's been my struggle, probably a longer answer than you were looking for. So how far along are you in this project? Have you taken a hiatus? Are you letting those that noise in your head get the best of you? And have you put it aside? Or are you still plowing ahead? Um, yeah, no, I, I can. I would tell you that everything you said up until still plowing ahead is very well describes my experience. So that that retreat was three years ago this July. The person leading the retreat, the expert, when I left, she said, you need to, you need to get a book proposal done in the next four weeks. And then she would take the proposal from there and shop it around to agents. So actually I, I was really, and it was a good time with my business. July tends to be my slowest month because most schools, historically, not so much this year, schools are sort of on vacation in July. They've wrapped up the previous year in June. They come back the beginning of August and start focusing on the next year. So I I came home from that retreat and I just heads down as hard as it was. I sat and I wrote chapters. I did all the other extraneous pieces to a book proposal. I got it back to Linda. She sent it out to a couple agents and there was a New York agent who picked me up right away. So that was exciting. And then what happened was was that he sent it around to about 10 publishers and just couldn't get anyone to bite on it. So then it came so then I sort of had this setback. I had all this momentum that wow, this really this really could happen. I got the proposal done. 
everyone at the retreat told me this, you'll get a deal quick. I got an agent really quickly and then it just sort of died. And that's when I lost. That's when I kind of took a hiatus and, and it's been a struggle to get back. And what I know I need, just given my personality, is that I need I need a coach. I need a partner. I need someone who provides me some accountability to this. Um, I, I've just realized that doing it on my own, to I just don't have, I have a lot of distractions. I don't have a huge internal burning desire to do it. I know I need to do it. I want to do it. And I, I have a lot of sort of doubts. I still have a lot of doubts. Hmm. So someone who can help me through that process is, is what I need. So what would not work? What would you not? So what are you looking for in a coach and what would you, and what would not work for you? I think what I need right now, you both reviewed what I've had, what I have up to date and, and you provided me amazing, great feedback and as I took that feedback and tried to incorporate it, I found I have found myself very lost. I've, I've been thinking about it linearly for three years that I'm really struggling to pivot a little bit on it in the ways that you've asked me. So I think what Dave and I talked about last week, what I really could use is someone to help me pull it apart and come up with an outline, a good outline that supports a thesis and a position in that. And then I, I know I can build the content around that. So right now, as far as producing the actual book, that's what I think I need. Beyond that, after either while or after, I'm not quite sure where it falls in the process. The back end of it, of, of how do you get it published, is, is another piece that you know I would love to have a partner with. On that. I think you speak to something that so many authors struggle with is they get all this content out there for you. You put a proposal together with an outline of the chapters and what you thought the thesis was going to be. And then you get feedback and you're like, how do I undo all this work that I have mm-hmm. already done? And that's a really scary and overwhelming moment. Mm-hmm. So what what is the exact feeling when you get stuck there and you say, maybe it's maybe you can elaborate on that. Like when you went away but thinking, oh, I've got to reshape this. What were you going through mentally? Let me give you, let me draw an analogy for you. I do a lot of marathon running. A couple of years ago, I was running in the Boston Marathon, which is a really, really hard, challenging race. And what I've realized is that when I start a marathon, I, I'm very overwhelmed. I'm, I look at it as 26 miles. I look at, at, at it in its entirety and it feels very overwhelming. So a few years ago when I was running the Boston Marathon, I got to mile about 17 or 18. And I just had this feeling of, I, I can't do, I, I can't do this. I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to finish this. I really could walk off this course right now. And, and as I kind of worked through this in my head, I thought, well, if you walk off this course right now, you're going to be satisfied for about 10 minutes. Hmm. And then you're going to be really disappointed in yourself for a much longer time period. So don't do that. So after I sort of came to this idea that that's not a good option, then I got back to, okay, so I still have the problem of I got eight miles. So I broke it down into pieces. And and in the Boston Marathon, the, the water stations are basically on the mile markers. So I told myself, you're going to take the word mile out of your vocabulary. The, the word mile is causing me anxiety preventing me from getting to my goal. So you're going to think in terms of water stations. 
and you are going to run from this water station that you're at to the next one. Can you do that, Liz? And I said, I can do that. It's like eight minutes. I can do anything for eight minutes, right? So, and then, and then I told myself, when you get to the next water station, you can reevaluate if you want to walk off this course. So I ran to the next water station and I said, you know what? I can make it to the next water station. I can run another eight minutes. So I did that. Now I'm at mile 20 and I said the same thing. I can go, I can do one more. And by the time I did that to about mile 22, then I was able to think, you know what? I can run to mile two. I could put the word mile back into my brain. I could think about 26. So what I, what I took away from that is that sometimes when you look at the entire project, it's just, and that's how I feel about a book. It's just completely overwhelming. But if you or Dave came to me and said, okay, why don't you have this chapter done by next week? I can do that. Can I write a book? No, I can't write a book. I don't know what I'm doing. Can I write a chapter about this particular subject? I sure can. That is, that's what I think a good coach or mentor or teacher can do is, is help someone like me manage that anxiety and produce, start producing. Don't tell me that you are running an eight-minute mile at, at, <laughs> mile, at mile 22. I can't run an eight-minute mile at mile one. Well, that was a few years ago. I probably can't right now, but incredible, <laughs> incredible. Now, I'm, now, now I run like an eight fifty mile. Day, That's that so incredible. Oh my, yeah, I feel a whole lot better. So my twenty minute mile, you don't think I could qualify for the Boston? <laughs> no. <laughs> I will tell you, it's, it's a powerful it's, metaphor for so many things. I mean, it's about perseverance and doing the hard stuff that you think you can't do. So it's a great metaphor. I think it's also helpful to recognize like how your brain reacts. Like I, I know my brain really reacts to lar like entirety of things like that causes me anxiety. And I think that's very relevant to writing a book because it, it's just, it's completely paralyzing to think about it. So what is, Liz, the, the next water station for you as you write your book? I'm very confident that I have more than enough content um, that will be valuable in quality in a book. Um, I think the next water station for me is, is coming up with a good outline for it. So I have all this content, but I, I need to find a way to organize it that feeds a very solid and straightforward thesis of what the book, what the value is of the book and what the underlining message of the book is. Great, so yeah. kind of figuring out how to focus that all in, all this content into a coherent, consistent message. Just quickly, and so you're drawing your content from presentations mostly that you've done, or are you drawing it from other pieces that you've written over the years through your consulting business? Or tell me where you're drawing all of your material from. Both. So um, I have probably 50 blog articles that have the same tone and approach that I use in my speaking experiences. I, I tend to tell a lot of stories when I talk because I feel like it takes abstract information. So I'll give you an example. An abstract idea is that what you put up stays up online. That's a very common thought. There's permanency to everything you do online, but it's abstract in nature. So when I talk to students, they'll nod their head and say, yeah, I know what I put up, I can't take down. But the concrete side of them 
thinks that, no, I can delete my Instagram post. I can take it down. So there's the, the abstract and the concrete. So when I, when I talk to both parents and students, I embed the concepts in a lot of stories because one, they're interesting and they hold my listeners' attention. Um, so, so a speaker can have the best content in the world, but if they can't hold their audience's att- attention for an hour, an hour and a half, it's not, it's not worthwhile. The other thing is it, it starts to build a database for people in their brain of what do these problems look like. So when you think about how you talk to kids about stranger danger outside, you tell them things like, don't talk to someone you don't know. But then you give them lots of examples of what that looks like. Don't talk to the guy in the white van. If a, someone comes up and says they lost their dog and they want you to help them, it's, it's not true. If they have candy back at their car, don't take it. So we, we tell kids the rule, but then we give them examples. But we don't do that so much online. So I try and do that with story. So the way I want to structure the, the book content is to have the ideas around it. The, the overall concept, and then support it with stories of either my own children or people I've worked with. So it's very consistent between how I present, how I speak, and the type of book I'd like to produce. So there's a certain entertainment factor as you're deepening your knowledge on parenting. So it's really geared at parents at parents, and how to raise, raise kids in a hyper-digital age, how to have good communication Um, how to deepen your relationships through the technology that is so prevalent in their lives and our lives. Thanks so much today, Liz, for sharing your story. And we have one final question for you today, and that is, what is the best piece of advice you can give to an aspiring professional like you who wants to write a book? Um, If I give you one piece of advice, that probably means I should start following my advice as well. (laughs) (laughs) For me... Um, what's been helpful is to take the word, it's kind of like my, my analogy to the running. I needed to take the word miles out of my vocabulary. Sometimes it helps me if I can take the word book out of my vocabulary and just start thinking about creating content. So whether I create content for my blog, um, whether I, I document a story or an experience, I think if I can write and start knocking some things out, that'll help. The other piece of advice I have for someone like me who's who's not writing as a full-time job, but as a part of my business and my career is to dedicate time that you protect, whether it's daily or weekly, you know, maybe it's an hour a day, or maybe you like working in four, four hour chunks or a day chunk, schedule it in like a meeting. So when I have a meeting set aside, like I did with you guys, nothing interferes with me being on this computer at one o'clock, especially if it's not something you deeply enjoy, schedule it in your, in your planner, like a meeting and then show up. That's great. That's great. So I think that's it for today. Thanks again, Liz, for joining us. You've helped, I'm sure a ton of aspiring writers, your authenticity and is so helpful and sharing your struggles. I know is going to speak to a lot of aspiring writers. So thank you so much. And thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write. 